ora ko Jane Patterson TNA ane te purongo toranga pomo TNA wiki. Welcome to Focus on Politics. It's the eve of the official day of polling in New Zealand, and where are the votes going to fall? It's been a roller coaster campaign, fiscal fights, feisty debates, all with the aim of taking the government benches. Let's first take a look back at some of the highlights and some of the less inspiring moments. Ah, beautiful! You are wonderful, Thank you're friendly, you're friendly, you're friendly than I thought you would be. Oh, absolutely. I'm just after your goals. <laughs> Break the glass, hit the panic button, Labour. This is your crisis poll. Labour has collapsed to the terrifying 20s, 26.8%. Their numbers are not where we need them to be, and I accept responsibility for that. We've got a turnaround job here to do. It's not our preferred scenario, but there is a possibility that, you know, the Nats are not prepared to truly share power. They don't agree with us about the magnitude of change that is required for New Zealand to turn itself around. And so we basically say, OK, well, Chris, you know, we promised we'd support a change of government, so you'll be the Prime Minister, but we're going to sit down at the end of Parliament and you'll need to come and talk to us about every single vote. Labour has left the cupboard bare. We are seeing light at the end of the tunnel. I'm not restrained um, by bigger parties. I'm not, I'm not the value added or the plus one. We are it. New Zealand First is on five. So on these numbers, Winston Peters is back in the game and to party Māori is... But none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is New Zealand and everything that's in it, and which is more, will all be Kiwis. Everyone. Trust is something that you earn, and you don't earn it by being one of the least transparent oppositions New Zealand has ever seen. Uh, I am extremely confident with our numbers. Me and my colleagues, listen up, we'll work with anyone to try and fix it now. Really, you are baiting, and you always have, David, and you mm. know it. It's not credible for the guy who's had more chances to fix New Zealand's problems than anyone oh, else. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I was just Sorry, talking about not. redistributing we wealth. We're not talking about taking them out. Go and ask Jim Bolger and go and ask Helen Clark whether I can be trusted. You're not comfortable in your skin for your waka papa. Do people actually trust that Luxon is going to be able to manage these two? Whereas, like, we, we can be friends, eh? Yeah. So, like, what are the choices? Can trust us, whānau. It's like an arsonist showing up dressed as a fireman saying, I'm here to help and fix it all for you. That means you'd better get some adults in the room and leave the trousers on, for goodness sake. Hi, everyone. Or with election day around the corner, people are asking me for my thoughts. So here's a couple. First, the election result is far from certain. Imagine if we woke up on the 15th of October in limbo land. And I think I know we're in a very uh, political period at the moment, but these sort of statistics give me heart that we've genuinely turned a corner. This is an insult to every New Zealander who is still struggling to pay their rent, their mortgage, for their groceries because of Labour's reckless economic mismanagement. Whenever I said a te reo Māori word, like puku, for full tummies, lunches and schools, I was shouted at. When I said Aotearoa, the crowd responded, it's New Zealand. When I said um, rangatahi, stop speaking that language. The extent that the right parties have emboldened this behaviour and then to insult us all by denying their involvement or denying the extent of their racism, denying had I been race baiting. I don't know about the, who, who's got anti-vax candidates or not. What I'm saying to you very clearly is I'm going to focus on the National Party. 
To govern a country, you need experience. And this is not our first rodeo. With well, uh, my preference is not to deal with New Zealand yeah. first. Um, and the we are the party, the only party in Parliament over the course of the last 30 years that treats the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis and, in fact, the crisis of increasing poverty uh, as the emergency that those things actually are. Does your position remain that you will not sit around a cabinet table with Winston leaders? Yeah, I think that's a realistic outlook, but, you know, let's just see what the people decide first. It's, pre- it's pretty challenging to see, isn't it? But let's see what the people decide. It's crunch time on the campaign trail, and the minor parties have big plans for their last week of trying to win votes. We're going steadily into the end of the week, and yeah, everyone's in good humour. Trying to get out and talk to as many people as I can in my electorate. There is a couple of electorates that might possibly be taken, so they're concentrating on that. Continue to be out there engaging. Keeping out of trouble? <laughs> We're peaking at the right time, so all of our social media and web stats are on the up, and that, that's where you want to be you know, going into the voting grid. I took the PGF, then gave the funds to our people. I took a billion trees and planted everywhere. RNZ's political reporters have been out with the various parties and leaders for the last five weeks, covering all of the twists and turns. Myself, Deputy Political Editor Craig McCulloch, and reporters Katie Scotcher, Annika Smith and Giles Dexter all joined Corin and Ingrid on Morning Report. OK, Craig, I'm going to start with you. You've been yes. covering National, so apart from some grocery shopping tips, um, <laughs> what, what else has been happening uh, with National on the campaign? Uh, it's been an, an, an interesting campaign. I mean, early on it looked like they were just sleepwalking to victory, a simple victory with, with the ACT Party. It has become a little bit more difficult for them in these past few weeks with their position becoming a little bit more precarious. New Zealand first having to come into the mix, not not whether they'll win, of course, but whether or not they'll need New Zealand first, and it looks increasingly like they will. Obviously, there's been a lot of focus um, on their handling or perhaps mishandling of the Winston Peters question. I think that there are two potential different paths the party could have taken. If you go back to May, there was an option when New Zealand, uh, when National ruled out working with Te Party Māori. They could have at that point also ruled out working with New Zealand First. And the argument there is that uh, you would have made New Zealand First irrelevant because he w- he, Winston Peters wouldn't have had a pathway with either Labour or National and it would have smothered him and then potentially the party wouldn't have seen the surge that it has seen. Now, the other option, of course, if they decided that they wanted to work with um, New Zealand first, so they wanted to keep that door open. More recently, they could have showed a little bit more respect, a little bit more deference towards Mr Peters, I think. I mean, it may not matter seeing Mr Peters has said that he won't go with Labour, but regardless, it may make for some testy scenes around that negotiating table, given the, the comments that they've been making, particularly Chris Bishop, about Mr Peters. Katie Scotcher, Labour, uh, they're talking up this idea that they've got the mo, the mojo, the momentum, call it what you will. Uh, what is your sense of the mood of the team when you're around them? Is it, does that feel real? Is it real belief or are they trying to convince themselves they've got a chance? Uh, if you'd asked me that question at the start of the campaign, I think my answer would probably be very different. I'm going to use a sport analogy here, which I... I think go right ahead. I'm for <laughs> uh, I would say that the Labour uh, campaign has been a game of two halves. The first <laughs> half was low energy, it was cautious and 
oh god it was awkward uh, Chris Hipkins would come out every day and kind of attack National about their tax cut plans but there was kind of this lack of conviction behind him almost as if he was resigned to the fact that Labour was likely going to lose and I think there was a flow on effect behind the scenes there were people within Labour's caucus kind of admitting to RNZ that the party was going to lose we saw MPs talking out of turn we saw MPs you know spreading incorrect information about nationals policies online and you know to try and make them look in different ways uh, and then there was the news hub debate and I think that really changed things for Chris Hipkins he came out I think he probably had a, a stern word from some people behind the scenes and he came out firing and then of course he got COVID-19 and went into isolation went into the hotel and it was seriously like he was cloned in the hotel came out again a completely different man was so extroverted we'd go around on these walkabouts and he would you know proactively go and talk to people he hadn't been doing that during the campaign he'd kind of used MPs to kind of usher these conversations um you know he was there was a real buzz on the ground there were big crowds forming around him at markets in Auckland and in malls um yeah he was very relaxed and I think that's the crucial thing he had kind of this weight almost he certainly off his seemed that last night didn't he he was uh, looking for the big Hail Mary really I mean, he had nothing to lose, and it certainly came across in his much more forceful performance. I actually think he has everything to lose. There's been a lot of talk about how he has nothing to lose, but Labour has an outright majority at the moment. He is potentially going to lose dozens of MPs. His you know, prime ministership is on the line here. I think he is coming out talking as if he's got everything to lose. OK, we'll get to Annika now uh, in regards to ACT, which, I mean, they were sort of well, sort of bearing some of the consequences of uh, National not ruling out New Zealand First and actually lost ground to New Zealand First and some, particularly that Guardian poll where I think New Zealand First was actually ahead of them. So what's been going on with them? Yeah, totally, Ingrid. Um, the, the campaign sort of continued in earnest. I think David Seymour was scooting around a, a racetrack yesterday. He is... Um, primed for um, doing media gigs. The Campaign for ACT has been uh, really organised, um, very strong out and about in the community. He was also visiting affected um, businesses um, affected by crime um, yesterday. But as you said, overshadowed by Winston Peters. And I think, you know, they say a week is a, a long time in politics. And, you know, a couple of months is. If you cast your mind back to sort of before the campaign started in earnest, ACT was polling very well um, and it was looking like a national act government was almost a given um, and as the weeks sort of ticked by acts polling has dropped and New Zealand First or Winston Peters has you know almost literally just sort of ridden through on a horse and sort of I think taken a bit of the the wind out of act and David Seymour's sails I think he's still set to grow his caucus but it's it's nowhere near um, you know, the environment um, or, or what he would have dreamed that it could have been, you know, sitting around a cabinet table, you know, with the National Party. He's also potentially has to deal with Winston Peters. And so I think what we've seen is Zach's campaign continue in earnest. But I've observed he's seen seemed a bit flat. And I think he's sort of battling, you know, the reality that's looming large as, as Election Day draws to a close. Giles Dexter, uh, the Greens, meanwhile, uh, sometimes sort of, you don't, perhaps not as much visible coverage maybe in the, the big media, but uh, doing very well in the polls. Marama Davidson with some strong debate performances. They'd be pretty happy where they're sitting. Well, the Greens have had a very smart campaign strategy, and that's that they got 
all of their policy announcements out of the way before the campaign even began. So that's allowed them to spend this entire time period getting out on the road and selling them to people. Um, most of their events that they have been doing during the campaign have been these real grassroots community events, and then they'll use those to sort of pitch a relevant part of their manifesto. So, you know, going up to students and telling them about, oh, we've got an income guarantee for students. Um, so they, they have been a little bit frustrated that the bickering from the two major parties has sort of overshone their own uh, policies. You know, they loved, they'd love it if uh, more people were talking about their wealth tax, for example, um, you know, saying it's fully costed, but obviously Chris Hipkins isn't going to budge on that. Um, and, yeah, they have been performing very, very well in the debates. Um, you know, Madama Davidson and Debbie Nariwapaka had that memorable double act at the News Hub Power Brokers debate and, you know, they've sort of carried on that momentum in, in, in the other debates. So they've, they've just sort of quietly gone about their work very effectively and it looks like they are going to be on course to get the more MPs that they've wanted to talk about, whether they end up with the more ministers at the cabinet table, it's, you know, still a few days. Okay, Jane, let's uh, get a bit of an overview of all this from you. Uh, one of the things with the uh, the coalition formation after the after the election, uh, there does seem to be a softening in terms of, you know, Winston Peters almost, you know, conciliatory in terms of saying, you know, I can make this work, sort of just thawing out those because it was like, yes, we can, no, we can't and, and, until the very last minute. And now they seem to be sort of saying giving that uh, impression that they can work with, with others. And there has been an outbreak of civility, is <laughs> how I would describe it. So they've all come to realise over the last week or so uh, that they need to be telling the New Zealand public that they will work constructively because obviously any sort of talk of disunity um, has actually reflected in the polls and, and not done well for them. So David Seymour from ACT still can't bring himself to say that he trusts Winston Peters but in the next breath says we will work together, we will do what we need to do. Winston Peters has played a smart game all the way through. He has made himself a small target for anyone wanting to say he's the guy that causes chaos. Anytime he is asked about it, including ACT and David Seymour, uh, there is not a great personal relationship there but he has said Despite personal differences, we will get around and work around the negotiating table if we have to. An interesting thing, actually, from last night in the debate, Chris Luxon was asked if he has Winston Peters' number, if you remember saying yes, at that yeah. News Hub debate that he didn't know him, and he said yes, but they haven't had any conversations. So I don't know if there are um, some contacts beyond the leadership, but I thought that was interesting, that, that there's been no effort to build that personal relationship. But at the political level, um, they don't want to scare the horses. They're basically saying we can do this and uh, you can trust us not to throw the toys out of the cot. Winston Peters, again, an interesting um, comment that he made at the um, the press debate this week. He promised not to go to a second election, so he's drawn a line in the sand. Uh, the other interesting thing about this election is the vote for National and Labour, that combined red-blue vote. Um, in past elections, it's been as high as 80%, and at the moment, on based on the RNZ poll or polls, it's sitting at about 64%. So we've really seen the rise of the small parties in a number of different ways and I think that is a reflection of a disillusionment and, and lack of intense love for either of those big parties yes. and also this this environment that it, we're operating It's really in. not been an inspiring campaign at all has it? I mean we've seen plenty of misinformation for one thing being thrown around particularly by the Labour Party candidates uh, spreading claims about National that just weren't true. You saw National really overrigging its its tax relief package. Uh, the campaign hasn't been helped too by the fact that the the major 
tax policy legs from both National and Labour were so thoroughly discredited by economists. So you, you really have seen the situation where... Uh, Voters looking at those two major parties wouldn't be feeling particularly enthusiastic, wouldn't be feeling um, um, particularly passionate about them. People are disenchanted. They're looking for change, but they're not all that enamoured by those two main options. So they've seemed to go elsewhere. That vote has splintered. And you can see that too in the personal ratings between um, Chris Luxon and Chris Hipkins. All the way through, no one's had a major gain and they're pretty much still head-to-head in the 20s, which is really unusual in terms of, you know, often you would see a a very popular leader on on one of the parties leading the charge. So it really has been about that party vote. I mean, in the end, it's the party vote that matters, but it's a very interesting reflection in terms of how the public are responding to both of those leaders. And I think the big risk then, because given that mood, that sort of disillusionment, Illusionment or that malaise is that we could be looking at quite a low turnout election this time round. We'll be back with you next week when the preliminary election results will be in. But will the picture be any clearer about the shape of the next government? Let's focus on politics. I'm Jane Patterson. Thanks for joining us. Matua.